welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Um, a long, long time ago, and in a galaxy far, far away, uh, I used to be a junior high camp counselor. Anybody see Star Wars yet? Okay, that was for you. So there you go. You're welcome. Yeah, I was a camp counselor at a camp called Idrahaji in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. Uh, Christians are notorious for uh, shortening words and making acronyms and alliterations. And so, obviously, Idrahaji is the first two letters of the words, I'd rather have Jesus. (laughs) So, I I was there for 12 weeks, friends. And uh, you had an option as to what camp you might want to go to, like senior high camp, junior high camp, you know, elementary and then like really little and lots of counselors sort of went all around in the summer but all 12 weeks I hung out with the junior hires now some might say that's a bit of a uh, testimony to me and my personality but uh, you know some people thought I was a glutton for punishment but I I love those that age I think the questions that they ask are just fantastic and their their zeal and zest for life maybe matched mine Um, so that week, or that summer, every Friday at the end of the week, you know, after you got to know kids and whatnot, there was this hike that happened up to a place called Inspiration Point, and it was a sunrise hike. Now, dead of the summer, that is a very early hike. So uh, at, at like 4 a.m., the alarm clock would go off, and any counselors or camp staff or students who wanted to go got to go with uh, Captain Micah up to the top of this mountain at Inspiration Point. So I led this hike every single week, all 12 weeks that summer. And I loved it. It was so much fun. And I actually, as the leader, you know, was up this sort of trail, and we would, I I ran a tight ship with these junior hires, you guys. It was very quiet, like no talking, you know, all the way up to the deal. And I would do it with no light uh, as the leader, which I thought was really fun. Other people, maybe not so much. But I I loved it because, like, your eyes would begin to adjust to the darkness, and then actually you would start to hear things that you wouldn't normally hear because your senses start to adjust to, like, if one is, is, is deficient, the others are peaked. And I, you could feel, like, the rocks underneath your feet in a different way. And after about uh, an hour-long hike, we would make our way up to this rock outcropping, and all the little junior hires would spread themselves out with their journals or whatever else they brought, and they would sit silent, waiting in the dark for the sun to rise. Now, I don't know if the last time you've been around the, the, the moment of dawn in a day. I love dawn. It is a fascinating time of day. Those mom- that moment, or maybe you could say those moments, when... Like the first glimmer of light comes and it changes the blackness, the darkness of the night sky and slowly and gradually you get more and more light and you get purples and grays and the beginnings of something. And at first you sort of think your your eyes are playing tricks on you and you start looking out of the corner of your eyes because your peripheral vision catches light and, and movement, you know, more. And then you realize like sure enough it's getting lighter and more light and more light and more light. And then before you know it like things that were in the dark start to take shape. And then there's this circle on the horizon of emanating light coming up. And then before you know it the moment you've all been waiting for the sun cracks above the horizon line. And then all the things that were in the shadows begin to light up. And the things that were in the darkness are no longer but filled with light and with warmth. The prophet Isaiah has a moment like this that he speaks of in chapter 9, verse 1. And it's a moment in Israel's history, the people of God in the Old Testament, that is very, very dark. They've been taken captive by all sorts of different empires, and they've been led to other lands, and they're enslaved. And a moment when all hope seems to be lost, the prophet's words ring out, and he says, Nevertheless, no more gloom. 
for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Question for you tonight, though, as you're gathered here this evening, Christmas Eve, is there any sense in which you or those around you are in distress? Is there any sense in which the world that we live in is in distress? Like our political system? Doing fine. Is there any sense in which like the world that you live in or those around you live in seems dark? I think if we're honest, like we all would say to some degree or another, like, yeah, there is that tension that exists. And yet we have the words of Isaiah, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. The light has dawned. In the words of the angel in Luke chapter 2, do not be afraid. For I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, on this day in the city of David, a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. There seems to be this tension that exists and that becomes more and more acute around the season of Christmas. At least for me, I'm assuming maybe a bit for you as well. This tension between how it, how it should be and how it is. Or how, what, what Christmas says is true and what we experience is true day in and day out. This tension. Uh, do you remember like on the playground when you were a kid? Or maybe at camp you played that game where like a group of kids would line up on one side. And then a group of kids would line up on the other side. And then there was a rope in the middle. And you'd grab onto the rope and you'd start pulling. You remember that game? What was that called? Tug of war. That's right. It's not just a playground game. And it's not just a game for kids I found out just recently. Um, my wife and I, like actually like serious adults, like people who hold degrees and jobs, play this game. Like, and it's very, very serious. I don't know if you know this or not. There's a whole culture around tug of war. Now, much like soccer, the rest of the world takes it a bit more seriously than us Americans. But be that as it may, one of our daughters came home and one of her best friends, their whole family is on a tug of war team together. And she's like, you know, do you think you could sub in for us? We have somebody missing. And so our daughter comes home and is like, can I do this tug of war thing? And my wife and I are like, people do that? Like, that's a thing? Yeah, it's a big deal. So much so that, like, the national championships of tug of war was held right here in our neighboring state of Wisconsin, friends. And the winner of that championship goes on to the world championship of tug of war. <laughs> In Spain, it's real, it's happening. The Irish and the Scottish, they take this very seriously. You can go online and Google it. I don't know if that's like, you know, remnants from Braveheart and like the lawn games or what, but it's a, it's a thing, tug of war. But it got me thinking about Christmas and this claim of the prophet Isaiah, right? Like deep in the story of God, buried in the Old Testament, is this proclamation about the birth of a baby, and Christmas seems to bring into sharp focus this battle, this tug of war, if you will, between light and dark. And it's through that lens that I want to try to offer a few thoughts to you this Christmas Eve. And I'll do that with a story, a painting, and a question. So first, a story. Uh, it is winter in 1864 in a place called Petersburg, Virginia. The Confederate Army of, U of Robert E. Lee were facing the Union Division of Ulysses S. Grant, names you probably are familiar with. And the war was about three and a half years old at this point, so like the cause that everybody had rallied to had long since given way to like the muck and mire of trench warfare. And late one evening in that winter, one of Lee's generals, a guy named George Pickett, received word that his wife had given birth to a son, a baby boy. 
And so Lee, in honor of this baby boy, up and down the line, commanded his, his army men to light fires along the line to commemorate, to, in honor of this newborn baby. And so these fires began to pop up all along the enemy lines. And then they became infernos, like raging bonfires. And Ulysses S. Grant, no freshman to warfare, right? Not his first rodeo. He's like, what is happening here? What, do, what is the meaning of these fires? And so he sends a recon mission over to see, and the patrol comes back and they say, oh, Actually, what's happened is a general in Lee's army, a guy named George Pickett, he's received word that his wife has had a baby boy. And it just so happens that Grant knew this guy. They went to West Point together, so they, like, they, were, they were friends. So Grant then commands his army to light fires along the lines, and then there were these... So what a peculiar night, right? Like right in the middle of war, all along enemy lines... There are these bonfires. No shots fired, no yelling back and forth, the smell of gunpowder nowhere to be found, no war, only light. Only light illuminating humanity. And it's actually happened not just once, but multiple times. I don't know if you know this, in 1914 in World War I, they made a Super Bowl commercial about a couple years ago. I was weeping when I saw it, it was just beautiful. Uh, 1914, early, early on in World War I, British soldiers and German soldiers and French soldiers, it's called the Great Truce of Christmas Day, where they came up out of these trenches and into no man's land where there had been bloodshed and people had died and bodies were lying, and these soldiers came up out of these trenches to share with one another conversation and traded memorabilia and things from their homeland, and I would suggest maybe even their own humanity with each other. And history tells us that there were uh, joint burial ceremonies for prisoners or, or people who fallen soldiers. There were prisoner swaps for prisoners of war. There were uh, several meetings ended in carol singing, and even a football game broke out on the battlefield. Now, gang, whether it's 1864 or 1914, there is something deeply embedded in the human spirit that wants to believe the words of Isaiah and of the angels in Luke. We want to believe. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For those who live in the land of the shadow of death, light has dawned. And the angel, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for not just some of the people, but all of the people. For unto you in this, this day in the city of David, a Savior is born. We want to believe that light has come. It's as if we're made for it. And yet we live in this tension. Light has come, but we find ourselves in darkness at times. The great existential and spiritual crisis of Christmas every year. I don't know if you think about these things, but I do. I, I have to. Because I have to tell you these things every year. So a story, a painting, and a question. A painting. Uh, in Matthew chapter 2, we learn about an awful, awful moment of darkness regarding King Herod. If you know the story, the Magi come to visit this king that has been born, and Herod is a bit neurotic. He's threatened by this, and so he gathers all the power that he possesses by the empire, and he decrees and declares the death of all the infants under the age of two in Bethlehem and surrounding area. And this painting is by a French painting, a uh, painter named Leon Cognier, and it's entitled The Scene of the Massacre of the Innocents. Now, there are other paintings of this moment in scripture, but most of them focus on like the spectacle of death and the mayhem and the chaos that would have ensued if you were in that moment. But this one, what's so arresting and interesting about this painting is that it seems so personal. 
Like, you get the chaos going on in the background, but, like, in the focus, in the foreground, in the center, is this woman who clutches her baby and covers its mouth and hopes not to be heard and found. She cowers in the corner, and to me, it's her eyes. Like those eyes staring back at me and you as if we were Herod's agents of death. Like she demands that we identify ourselves. Are you with him or are you with me? So a story of painting and a question. It seems that the Bible and much of life comes down to decisions and choices and key moments. There's this great moment at the end of Moses' life in the book of Deuteronomy. The people of God, the, uh, the Israelites, have left Egypt, but they haven't entered the promised land yet. And there's this sort of shining spotlight moment where it's as if the Bible is asking, what kind of people will you be? And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, the writer says this, Now the, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven, so that you have to ask, who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it? As we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. And then he goes on to say, this day I set before you life and death. Choose life. What I love about this passage is this part where it says, what I'm asking of you, it's not beyond you. It's not out of reach. It's not beyond heaven or across the sea. It's in your mouth. It's written on your heart. These stories of war and the front lines remind us that Christmas and the birth of Jesus declare with Isaiah that light has come to those walking in darkness. Dawn has come. And now you and I are invited to join in that chorus of light by building fires to light and gather around on the front lines of war and conflict, even in our own lives, offering the way of peace and justice. See, Christmas and the birth of Jesus invites you and I, right here, right now, in this moment, and all the moments we have later, all the moments we have left, to be people who follow the example of God, who brings light into darkness and then says, do as I do, by lighting fires of peace and light on the front lines of war and conflict, or your family gathering in an hour. Inviting others to put down their weapons of war and their words of war to gather around warmth and light and hope and justice and peace that comes in this person of Jesus. In this painting, and those eyes ask us at the deepest level, what are you doing? Are you with him? Or are you with me? One author writes about this painting. It asks us to examine ourselves and consider why is this woman so afraid of us? To examine the ways in which we may have been co-opted by forces of empire and sided with the powerful instead of the weak and the poor, the vulnerable. Because that face, that child, it's not 2,000 years old. It happens in Syria and it happens in the Congo happens at the border and it happens all over the world. The prophet Isaiah declares that the birth of Jesus, light has come, dawn has broken, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, there is a new light, there is a new day. And I want to suggest to you tonight that that didn't just happen. But it happens again and again and again as you and I 
choose light, choose hope, choose to have our lives be centered around and anchored in and the, the, the magnetic pull of our life is this story. So what are you doing? You get one shot at this. You get one life. So what lies at the center? What is the gravitational pull of your life? Is it empire? Is it politic? Is it economics? Like the world that we live in says it's me first, then you, sometimes even at cost to you if it benefits me. That's normal. And Christmas every year comes and says, ah, there might be another way. There might be another story. There might be another song playing. Can you hear it or not? And so I would ask you, what are you doing? Are you with him? Are you with the empire? Are you with me first, you second? Or have you said yes to this light that has come and made, it, made your life about it so that the gravitational pull, the center, the anchor upon which your life is founded is light and hope and justice and peace? See, friends, like there's two, there's two choices. Either you fight and push back against the darkness you might find in any place that you find it, and you bring light and hope and justice and peace, or you just surrender. And you say it's too much. It wins. I implore you tonight. Christmas is not about Santa and consumerism and presents, and it's the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest moment that's ever happened. That the God of the universe, if God exists, that this God says in this moment, light has come. The dawn has broken. For those who are living in distress, for those living in the land of the shadow of death, there's a new song playing. There's a new story being written. And I want to ask you tonight, like, are you in on that? Maybe... Maybe you've already said yes, but it's a re, uh, 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 sort of recentering of what does it look like to be the person who builds the fire of light and warmth and hope and justice in my workplace and in my school and in my family, in my government, in my community. I think there's two choices. Deuteronomy chapter 3. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death. Choose life. I don't know about you, but I choose light. And I implore you, I, I invite you to do the same. This song that you're going to hear is my prayer for you. However you've come here tonight, whatever you have brought into this room, however many times you have heard this story, that whatever darkness, whatever struggle, whatever you find yourself in the midst of, that you would find the light that would lead you home. And I believe that light has come in the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago. So may you find it again.
those walking in darkness. In Christ, this light is offered to you tonight, once again, as the free gift of God. So may you find it. May you build fires of hope, of light, of hope, of peace, along the trenches of our own lives where war and conflict is found, so that in you, the world around you will know that light has come. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The church said together. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Community. Or on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. See you next time.